This is the Motley Fool Money Mailbag. Welcome to Motley Fool Money, our very special Sunday mailbag edition. He is Andrew Page from strawman.com. I am Scott Phillips from The Motley Fool. And together, we are a very, very pale imitation of Abbott and Costello. How are you, buddy? <laughs> very good. How are you? <laughs> I'm very, very well. I just thought I'd throw that in for, for a laugh. We're kind of, you know, not, not quite funny. Or We probably know a bit about more about finance than Abbott and Costello. I don't mean literally Tony Abbott and Peter Costello, I mean the other two. But. I was going to say, that it's, a, it's a very dated reference. <laughs> that's, mate, that's the worst part about getting old. My references haven't changed. There's just fewer and fewer people I work with who get them now. Like I, I say the same things I always used to. I used to get a few nods and a few laughs, and now I just get blank stares because I'm getting old and my colleagues are getting younger. Well, yeah, I, I would even say for our generation, Abbott and Costello. <laughs> yeah, we know who they are, though. They were they were a popular for those. Uh, oh come on! Under a certain age, they were. I've just I just googled it. They were a popular comedy team of the nineteen forties <laughs> and fifties. Everyone always knows Abbott Costello at least. Have uh, you've probably heard the term, okay. I suppose. But, yeah. Did they know who's on first? Was that them? I don't know what you're talking about. Oh really? No. Still one on of the one, one of the best one of the best comedy routines I've ever heard. Oh. Speaking of which, I was on. Um, Speaking of tangents, I was on the yeah Sharesies. Um, I do some work with them for, for the record, but um, yeah, yeah. I was invited to join one of their webinars recently, and uh, it was early this week. And I recorded it, and in doing so, we um, I somehow we talk, we're talking about a very long and boring story. Talk about dirty stocks, and then in ethical investing, and you know how, how to think about pollution, and you know what happens in Australia, what happens overseas, and how we can easily just kind of ignore the the bad stuff over there for good stuff over here, right? And I was talking about kind of you know it's like like the you know the um, Clark and Door, the front fell off. You've seen that one, right? Okay. Yeah, so I've if, definitely seen that one. But yeah. listeners, you have two bits of homework. Google uh, who's on first and also Google the front fell off. Anyway, so I've got to throw that into a conversation about that in the middle of nothing. The only benefit was John Clark, of course, famous, now unfortunately passed, famous New Zealand comedian. And because these guys are largely a New Zealand-based uh, business, uh, they just got to throw a bit of Fred Dagg in there, which is John Clark's character pre-Clark and Door. So yeah, that was a, uh, a very, very, very big tangent. Uh, but, but a bit of fun. I've got to throw that into a conversation. I think, you know what, if I can throw that into a finance conversation, then uh, I'm, not, doing I'm, not well. doing, I'm not doing too badly. That's a, it's a good start. It's a good start. Mate, how were the nice. Matildas last night, hey? They played really well. They did. What do you think of the result? Mm. Oh, it was astounding. Yeah, yeah. Uh, who do you think was the best player on the field? Oh, gosh, it's too hard to narrow down. <laughs> Thank you for playing along. We are, of course, recording this on Thursday, the 17th of August. So you know where you're listening to this, what happened last night. So do we by then. But right now, we have absolutely no idea other than there is a game scheduled, and I hope the Matildas have won. Uh, but let's go to the questions for our, from our listeners. Without further ado, as the cool kids say, uh, Will hit us up. He said, morning, guys. I'd like to submit a question for the machine which produces podcasts. I think he means the podcast machine. Disclosure up front, he said, this will be at two companies I own shares in, Solpats and Bailador Technologies. I will say I own shares in Solpats while we go through this one. He says, lately I have seen Solpats has recently been selling down its stake in Bailador. Now I'll ask you what Bailador is, Ram, because I know you're familiar with it. I, I am too, but I'll mm. let you do the honest. But he mm. says, Solpats sold down their stake in Bailador. One of the many reasons, says Will, I own Solpats is the management and their track record to perform. So when CEO Todd Barlow and the Milner family are making changes to exposures to other companies I also own, it gets me on edge. Is it counterproductive, us Will, owning shares in which they are selling down as part of my portfolio? 
Additionally, Baylor seems to be constantly undervalued relative to its net tangible assets. Not sure how much you know about this company. We know a little bit. But if you have any views on the company, do you believe the bridge between NCA and the market cap will ever be closed? What causes such a difference to a company's NTA and its market cap? Thanks. And that's from Will. Some really great, so obviously two companies worth talking about, Ram, but also some really, really interesting ideas and questions Will's got there. I believe you uh, recently took a closer look at Baylor. Yeah, oh gosh, you've asked so much there, Will. Um, uh, so I actually opened a position on my straw man portfolio just yesterday yeah, okay. on this. They had their full year 23 results out recently. So can you tell us what the company is? Yeah, they're, they're basically an early stage invest. They're an listed investment company. Mm. They invest in early stage technology. And the idea is they take money in, they make investments just like you or I would, and they hope to get a decent return on their investment. Mm-hmm. And, and we make money through them being good investors, or that at least is, is the idea. Um, so why do I like them? I think that I really like the management team. We've spoken to Paul Wilson before at Strawman. Yeah. He's a very straight shooter. Um, if anyone is a rugby fan, you'll yes. know that the one of the <laughs> co-founders and managing partners is David Kirk. So speaking of the Kiwis, mm. um, so captain of the All Blacks at one point in World time. World Cup winning captain of the All Blacks. There you go. Yeah, well, remarkably good it's, it's, We're Australia-based. Let's not give them too, <laughs> much, too much credit. But... <laughs> But he's an exceptional investor. Right? I'm going to interrupt you entirely now with a rugby reference just for the sheer fun of it. Go for it. You know, my, for I, it. I have two very favourite rugby nicknames. Uh, yep. Matt Hilda was one of the one of the is a, is a Wallaby forward for a while. And his nickname was Waltzing, as in Waltzing <laughs> Matt Hilda, which I think is brilliant. Seeing the Matildas. Yep. The other one is uh, John Eels, the former Australian captain. His nickname was Nobody. Do you know why? No, because nobody's perfect. He was such a good player. They call uh, him nobody. I see. There's, uh, some, there's some very bad. Every, everyone's you know something. You you'd be Pagey and I'd be Philly or Phillipsy or something. Yeah, uh, yeah, everyone yeah. gets an e, an e on sound on the end of their names. But Watson, Matt Hilda, and nobody's perfect. I just thought were brilliant. Anyway, mate, that is finish, excellent. Finish the story. Finish the story. So so anyway, they're listed on the ASX, um, and they. Well, let's speak about some facts uh, first of all. So they have. Um, delivered an internal rate of return of over 23% um, mm. on all of the, what they call cash realization. So of investments that they have either partially or fully realized, mm-hmm. they've done extraordinarily well on. Yeah. Uh, so I would put that in context. Buffett sort of does about 20% compound with Berkshire. I mean, admittedly, he's done that over nearly 60 years. But that is, you know, the market average is 10%. They've done incredibly well um, mm. on that as well. They're pretty, they're pretty savvy investors. Mm. Um, having spoken to them as well, they, they're long-term players. They're not just getting on whatever sounds cool and, oh, it's AI, we're getting in that. They, they are very focused on the business actually generating real economic uh, output. So I'm a fan of their approach. I'm a fan of their style. I think they've got some serious runs uh, mm-hmm. on the board. Uh, I really like them. And I think uh, the Milners like them too because they've got a position in them and mm-hmm. have for a while. So – uh, uh, let's unpack a, a few different parts of it here. So why are they selling down? Well, only they know that. Mm. So we can only speculate. So the, they might be selling down because they think that this is a terrible investment and they want to get the hell out. Um, I don't think that's likely, but I don't know. Um, it might be that they've got better use for the cash. It might be a, just a reweighting consideration. We don't know, right, is the hard thing. It could be a straight-up valuation still- question, right? I mean, the shares are up from as much as they still uh, discounted the NTA – I'm um, just looking here. They were down under a dollar uh, seven not long ago. 
dollar uh, twenty eight and a half on the day of recording. So you know, if you yeah. made a a twenty percent gain in a couple of months, maybe they just like, oh, we liked it at that price. We don't like it at this price. Yeah, who knows? Yep. Who knows? Yep. So it's really it's really hard to say. Mm-hmm. Um, oh, I I disagree humbly. <laughs> if that is the case, and remember, none of this is investment advice. Yeah. And doubly remember that if now that I've said this, it's going to halve from here. So that's just <laughs> fair, fair warned. Yep. Um, and also, now please don't at me in like three weeks or yeah, even next yeah. year. Like I'm really making investments. I'm thinking three, five, and ideally ten years out. Mm-hmm. Okay, so just you know, a, a bit of ass covering there, or bottom bottom covering. Apologies, um, but but also very very important to kind of note. Yeah. Um, so there's there's that. No idea what what they're thinking, um, but but I would imagine it's not too much related to to the business performance. Why do they trade? So NTA, the net tangible assets. So what they do is they publish this figure. And it's really of all the metrics that this company produces, that's the one to watch, I think, more than any other. The reason is, is that when you look at revenue or dividends, they're just going to be all over the place. Think about the nature of what they do. There'll be a lot of profits that are just really the companies that they hold have been revalued. They haven't, there's no cash that's come in or gone out. It's just that the market, so they've got some, they own SiteMinder or they own part of SiteMinder, which is also listed on the ASX. So as the shares there go up and down, that's going to impact things, but it's not gonna, there's no, until they sell that stake or partially sell that stake, there's no money coming in or out. Um, there's, there's going to be that. And then, you know, they, they had a reasonably big and very successful exit not that long ago, in which case a whole pile of cash comes in. Mm-hmm. So they, so these, you, you have to have a, be a, there's a bit of nuance when you're looking at the financials here. So the NTA just basically says, hey, if we took all of our investments and we sold them at the carrying value right now, and this is what it would be worth. So if you took Baylor portfolio and you sold it entirely right now, before you paid tax, you'd be on a, Oh, sorry, after you paid tax on that, you'd be on a dollar sixty. And the shares are currently trading at a dollar, let's call it a dollar thirty, bit yep. less. Yep. Right? So you're actually able to buy a dollar coin here for, I don't know, what, ninety-five cents or something like that. Now, <laughs> does that mean that it's that value gap is gonna close? No. Um, in fact, that value gap's been there for a long time. Can I, no go, can I go back half a step before you talk about whether yeah, the value yeah, gap yes, will close, yeah, mate? Yeah. And I, I, can I, 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 you, nothing, I just don't disagree with you at all. I quite like Baylor. I've recommended it uh, to Motley Fool Premier members. Um, so I don't oh, know. Have you? Personally. Nice. Yeah, yeah. Great, um, great, well, great yeah. minds think alike or fools well, seldom differ. Correct, exactly. <laughs> um, so uh, I, w- I, want to, I want to pick this apart a little bit, mate, just for, just for a second. Because yep. first thing I want to say, I think net tangible assets is a misnomer for these guys and for most people who report so-called NTA. Uh, they should yes. be reporting book value, which is the accounting value of theoretical accounting value. If mm. you say what's a net tangible asset or just net tangible value of my um, my personal worth, I might say, well, I have a house that I could sell roughly for this much. And that's probably relatively market accurate, right? I got a car, used car, you sell for that much. Okay, that's probably accurate. And then I could say, and look, I've got this uh, really interesting uh, investment in this business and I reckon it's worth about this much. And you might say, well, I can kind of measure the other two because they're kind of in, a, in an open market where you know, it's literally a tangible. It's a tangible thing, right? Um, a masthead, for example, used by masthead is intangible. A brand is intangible. Uh, and so some of Baylor's investments yeah. are only, they're only, it's the tangible thing I have a problem with, mate. Like we used to call it book value. I like book value a whole lot more. It's like the accountants say the business is worth this much based on the stated asset values. I'm like, I get that. So I'm not saying their numbers are wrong. And they're not using the wrong language in the sense that everyone uses It's a silly convention, but it's just a convention. It is, but yeah, it's, I hear it's your also point, important yeah. because when we say tangible assets, in theory, that's supposed to exclude 
things that can't be right they can't literally be sold and this is not necessarily that particularly for Baylor who has a whole lot of private investments which may or may not be liquidated at the given price well and those private investments themselves being technology companies there's right. a lot of just, <laughs> just exactly it's IP it's, it's running on an Amazon server somewhere correct, correct. so it's very much intangible yes now, good point last thing I'd say before you finish off is I'm looking at this $1.60 you just mentioned in fact I'm going to use uh, is it $1.70 yeah I'll use it $1.70 because this is their pre-tax numbers just because it's the way they've, they've built it up um mm-hmm. How's this? Forty-two percent of the company's dollar seventy claimed of net assets is cash, 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 hard cash, cash, mm-hmm. cash. Mm-hmm. Another thirty percent is listed investments. Now, in theory, they're liquidatable. Now, it'd probably do it. It'd probably be tough for it to sell site minder shares. So it's not as liquid as it might be if you saw, if you own that much of Commonwealth Bank shares, which you could sell in a second on the on the market. If you had a massive chunk in a small company, selling all of that is hard. But that's that's 31% of its investments. That's roughly, those two together, the cash and the, you know, in theory, tradable shares are worth a touch under, a touch, tiny touch under the current share price. Mm-hmm. All of their private investments currently, you're getting for, and I, I don't want to say free because I don't want to overstate it. I'm not a, I don't own these shares. I haven't recommended actively recently. It's still an active recommendation. So take that for what it's worth. Um, but actually, I, think, I think that's just worth saying. So the, the 27% of the company's net tangible assets or net book value, um, there's a matter of private investments. Effectively, you're getting for nothing if the cash is still cash and if those listed investments could be sold at the current share price. Mm. Now, back to your question about closing the gap. So glad you pointed all that out, right? Like, actually, actually was useful. What was am useful I missing here? Right, right. No, I mean, you're 100. percent I mean, well, I'll, I'll give the- you the bear case actually when you finish just to round it out. But you, yeah, actually, that that's more. always important. Yep. That is always important. Um, uh, so, th- yeah, the other the other reality is is to your point is like you have to believe the carrying value is accurate. Mm. So they've said on their statements that our investment in InstaCluster is worth this much. Mm. Our investor investment in DocsCorp is worth this much. Now, is it? Well, you don't really know right. until you sell, exactly. Exactly. right? It's like everyone's got an opinion on what their house is worth. Yep. And I'd say it's all BS until you actually test it in the market. Mm-hmm. Like that's, that's the real... We've had this conversation before with commercial property at yeah, the moment. Yeah, 100%. You know, it's like, oh, you know, um, all these listed property companies and it's like well, I reckon if you actually tried to sell all your property right now you'd get much less than what it's carried for on the books yep. so and and the reality is these are very early stage very illiquid companies so mm-hmm. you might actually struggle to find a buyer and you might struggle to find a buyer so if it turns out that you can't sell it at that yeah. then that NTA well, the NTA number is only as accurate as as those valuations here's where I put a little bit of uh, uh, confidence in it. When when you look historically at at Baylor, they have been, in my humble opinion, very conservative in how they've valued those investments. Mm-hmm. In fact, in any exit or realization, partial or full, that they have had, it has been done at a pretty decent premium to their carrying value. In other words, they recognize everything that I just said, so they conservatively account for it. And when it has now. The past is no guarantee of the future, but historically, when it has been realized, mm. it has been realized that price is higher than the carrying value. Right. Now, so if you really wanted to over-egg the pudding, you can say, well, it's, it's, maybe it's even a bigger discount <laughs> to the real NTA. Right, you know. right, right. The, the final realized price, yeah. Who knows? Yep. Who knows? Yep. But I, I don't, my investment is not based on an expectation that that is true. 
but it's a nice little margin of safety, mm. right? I, I, don't, I don't mind that at all. So I've got a couple of things that I, I sort of say. Management that have a fair amount of skin in the game, some other savvy investors that, albeit have sold down a little bit recently, still hold 15%, I think, mm-hmm. of the company, mm-hmm. who I really respect, they hold it. They've got a very good track record of investing in companies and exiting successfully at very high rates of, of, of return. To your excellent point, they have a very they have a mountain of cash. I think it's one hundred and four million dollars of cash mm-hmm. just sitting around, right? And they're now looking at a market where technology stocks are trading at a twenty eight percent discount to their five year average yeah. on an EV to to revenue basis. And mm-hmm. we can argue the value of that metric, but you know, anyway, it's it's they're 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 cashed up. And they're savvy buyers and they're extremely picky buyers. It's not like they have 100 stocks in their portfolio. They've got like 12 or something, right? Like not, not many. Uh, actually, it's less than that. What am I talking about? Anyway, um, uh, so it's all very interesting. But I, the, the reason that you would consider a company like this, first and foremost and largely, is that you believe that they are going to be good investors. Mm. I, as a private individual, am going to find it very difficult to list in pre- in, in private companies, unlisted companies. Yeah. It's very hard for yeah. me to do. Just, I, well, you know, I, I can, um, but I don't have the connections and I'm certainly not classed as a sophisticated investor. <laughs> I don't have millions lying around where I go. So this is a really nice way for me to get access to that on the ASX with all the liquidity and protections that that brings with the these guys as custodians of that. So if you don't mm. trust them, then you shouldn't go anywhere near it. Um, so I think that's really the, the biggest thing here of all is I feel as though they're decent investors and they're trustworthy. Yeah. And for what it's worth, I, I, I think that's the case. Um, but it's not about, I think, wow, 20 cent below NTA, that gap will close and that's when I'll make my money. No, it's not that. I just, mm-hmm. I, I see that as a, as a margin of safety. My view is, is that over time, they will take that 104 million. They will make further investments, either in, top up their investments in their existing companies as they continue to execute. They've done that a number of times as well. They've averaged up as things go well, um, and they'll find new investments and they'll realise them and they'll 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 get good rates of return and that will eventually trickle through to me as a shareholder. They've actually paid out pretty good dividends and it's. Again, you look at the like the historicals, and it's choppy as buggery because <laughs> you know there are years that go by where they don't make any yeah. realisation. There's nothing to pay out. And then they have this big exit and there's all this extra cash and they'll pay out a big chunk to investors as a reward. So it's not, if you're an income investor after reliable dividends, this is not for you, right? But, but what I am saying is, uh, I'm just I'm, I'm, I'm rambling at this point. I, 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 just, I just feel <laughs> as though they know what they're doing. And this is just a, a relatively small and recent investment for me, but I, I like them. They rank well on straw man. All care, no responsibility. Do your own <laughs> due diligence. Yeah. I, um, They'll be volatile. Yeah, it's a really difficult one, mate. So look, I've recommended it, right? So I, I'm, I'm positive. I'll really quickly do that and then I'll go to the, the bear case. Um, these are smart guys. Uh, they are investing in pre-IPO stage companies, which is something not always available on the ASX to individual investors like you and me or retail investors, Andrew, as you like to call them. Um, <laughs> so uh, so that's, that's you know, there's that. Um, they're, yeah, so they're very smart guys. We had them speak to one of our Motley Fool Platinum meetings not long ago, both um, both guys. Um, smart people know what they're doing, super connected, nice. um, super mm. sensible guys, trying to do the best for their their business and their shareholders. And those guys make out well. There's a pretty aligned incentives, right? So if we do well, they do well. Um, that's all really positive. Uh, and that NTA discount is, is pretty attractive. So those things are all true. If I was to make the, not that we did in the bear case, just kind of try and balance things up a little bit. Um, you should assume that every now and again, these guys will have some big wins and the occasional loss. Uh, 
And so that twenty three percent historical realized number. That's by the, just, that's a guarantee. Right. 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 They, they, they're going to make some bad investments, guaranteed. So that twenty three percent realized number historically could be indicative of the future, or it could be volatile and cyclical. And you know they got they're well with this one, they'll be bad with the next one. And it may be the the in in one version of the one view of the future, the share the NTA falls below the share price at some point because they have to write off a whole lot of money. Mm. So that that kind of free you know NTA I talked about the the private investments, you, you know one or two big big failures could wipe most or you know almost all of that out. Um, yeah. it, it's it's entirely possible that the listed companies they own shares in are also still overvalued. And people said to me before, you know, with with Sol Pats or something else. Add up all the stuff they 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 own, and most of it's listed. And you know, if, if that's less than same with ETF or a listed investment company, if that's less than the price of individual shares, you're getting a bargain. It's only true if those listed investments are valued correctly. If mm. you owned an ETF that owned shares in Enron, and Enron shares are a dollar, and you bought the ETF for ninety cents, you're like, oh, I'm getting a massive ten percent discount to the NTA. I'm a genius. And then Enron goes broke, and it turns out you paid ninety cents too much rather than 10 cents too little, right? So, mm. you know, the, the, the listed asset values have to be accurate or reasonable for you to believe that that's a real discount. If SiteMinder is overvalued, you know, and, and we can't know, I'm not saying it is, by the way, I have no view on SiteMinder. Um, but if you think it's overvalued, then using the current share price as a valuation metric would mm. be a mistake. In, mm. You talk about the tech companies over the, over the history, Ram. Um, you know, 18 months ago, a whole lot of tech companies were, were selling for a whole lot more than they are now. If I'd have bought them at a 10% discount or 50% discount, maybe not yeah. quite, a third discount, then, look, I'm getting all these, you know, a third off, that's great. Shares now crashed 50%. I'm now on the drink by 10%. That wasn't a real, I mean, it was a real discount to the then market price. But unless you're trading both sides at the same time, the free option goes away. In fact, it becomes a costly option rather than a free option. Um, so those are the things you need to think about. Last one for me is with 43% cash, you are, on one hand, a dollar's a dollar's a dollar, but they're not going to pay that back. They have zero intention of giving you that money. And nor should they, by the way. Why would they? That's, right. not, well, the man- that's not the mandate. Correct. Yeah. And the mandate, though, is take that 43 cents, or 43%, sorry, of the NTA, and go yep. put it to work in a new investment. Now, if they do great, they find the next Amazon, then you're off to the races. If yep. they find the next, insert, crashed company here, then they're gonna, you're gonna, it's worth less than the current cash, right? Because they're going to waste mm. that money. Now, again, do mm. I think they will? No, or I wouldn't have recommended it. And you know, we wouldn't be, would, I wouldn't think they're worth a go. But just be mindful of that. So the, the, the problem with theoretical NTA comparisons is it assumes that those that NTA is always going to be worth that or more. And you just can't assume, you shouldn't assume that, right? So just be mindful whenever you do it. It's a bit like buying an ETF. Do the valuation for yourself. How much do you think those companies are really worth? If you look at their listed investments and go, man, they're worth more than the current share price. Well, there you go. You get an even bigger discount. If they're worth less than the current share price, well, you know, if you're not sure what they're worth, then you probably have no business buying bail at all because you're, you're kind of, you know, you're saying, well, I don't know what they're worth. I guess hope these guys are right. Now, a jockey play is fine and by all means do it, but then don't do it as an NTA play because if you can't reasonably assess the value, then don't believe the market's getting it right. We say regularly the market gets it wrong a lot, right? That's why we're stock pickers. So, mm-hmm. you know, saying I'm a stock picker, but I'm going to take the market's word for these, these shares value, there is something deeply uh, cognitively dissonant about that kind of way of thinking. I think that's why I'd probably just keep it in mind and, and just, just be a little bit careful. Yeah. I'm always a bit nervous now. I feel, I feel I've got a bit of regret because you and I have been doing this for a while. Yep. And anytime you speak favorably on a company, it's just you're on a hiding to nothing. <laughs> totally. totally. Because all that 
a lot of people yep. hear is, oh, they yep. like it. I'm gonna, and then and then all you mm-hmm. get, you only ever hear anything back if it doesn't immediately mm-hmm. go well. And so, can I just? I, I don't want to say this. I'm gonna sound mean, but it's like if you're silly enough mm-hmm. to listen to some rando on a podcast and invest real money based on their say so and nothing else, like mm-hmm. you deserve, you know. And if it doesn't go well, it's kind of like I'm gonna be harsher. You kind of deserve that. I'm. You're not paying me anything. I don't owe you anything. <laughs> you know, it's on you. Mm-hmm. And I want to. I want to make that clear. I'm more than happy yes. to give yeah. my opinion yeah. Yeah. Out, that's out there. Yeah. But I, it's, it's a little bit harsh. I know what that sounds like. But it, it's it it is it is too often um, the case. Not just me. Other anyone else. You you mm-hmm. you hear people speaking favorably about it, and and <laughs> well, maybe they make a good case. Like I'm in, I'm in, I'm in. <laughs> and it's, right. it's why I'm really That's fond right. of saying you can borrow an idea, but you can't borrow the conviction, mm-hmm. right? So here's Baylor's a great example. When you look at their bring up some of their presentations, the NTA has generally just gone bottom left to top right. Yeah. Like on if that was the only thing you'd see, you'd go, oh, okay, actually been pretty good. Um, you know, in 2021, they're at a dollar eighty five a share. Right now, now they're a dollar thirty. Now, has the business improved since then? I'd say, yeah. Hmm. Was it overpriced at that point? Maybe. Mm-hmm. I don't know. Yeah. I mean, even 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 last year in October, they were at a dollar sixty. They're down a lot. So you can imagine you or I having a podcast, then going, oh, I actually think it's a pretty <laughs> decent company. Even though I've just said it's on a play money paper portfolio mm-hmm. on Strawman, right? And it's a relatively small position. It's like people hear what they want to hear. Yeah. And it's gone from $1.60 to $1.30. And all of a sudden, I'm getting death threats in the mail. So I'm just going, <laughs> please, please yeah. think for yourself, people. Yeah. Yeah. And I'll nicely shut put. up now. Nicely put, mate. Nicely put. Hey, a question from James. He says, hi, Scott and Ramstein. Ramstein. Ramstein, is it? It's a death, uh, not death metal. It's a, well, maybe it's a heavy metal uh, German group. <laughs> I'm surprised you're not familiar you, with you their work, You can you know that fact. I'm not going to. Hi, uh, Scott Ramstein. There we go. Firstly, thanks for the podcast, says James. I always enjoy your carefully scripted chats. No, seriously. The insight you generate is brilliant. Thank you, mate. I've got a question on high interest term deposit products versus equities. As we see rates go up, there is understandable conversation around the rate of return in the market versus high interest term deposit products. My question is around the fact that a term deposit will pay out at a fixed interval, creating a taxable event. Is this not considered an interruption of compounding, he says? I ran some maths on it and it looked like over a 30-year period with 4% compounding return and a 30% tax rate, you're 20% better off with an equity that has a single taxable event. This gets this looked to get more pronounced with a higher rate of return or a higher tax rate. What am I missing? Thanks again for the pod, guys, from Jimmy. Hmm. What can you tell Jimmy, mate? I mean, absolutely right. Um, I mean, it's always we mentioned. Was it on Friday's podcast? Opportunity cost is one of those real core concepts you, you have to wrap your head around. And so, the first part I would before we get to the tax side of things is I actually think you're on a really, you make a really astute observation. I'm a little mm. bit surprised that more people aren't sort of making, weighing this up. Mm. Like we talked about Transurban on Friday, great company, yep. you know, four and a half percent, three three mm. percent franking, four four and a half percent yield, three percent franking. So I can get that in a term deposit. Like yeah. where's Usually, I would want to what they what the boffins call a risk premium because I've, I'm going to invest in a company that has that execution risk, has funding risk, has volatility, 
all kinds of things. I just don't, if I'm just going to buy a term deposit and wait for it to mature, it's about, I'm not, I would never use the term risk-free, mm-hmm. but it's about as close to risk-free yeah. as, you're, yeah. as you're going to get. Um, so yeah, I think, I think it's actually quite, quite amazing, in fact, that you've got companies like, you know, Telstra and ostensibly sort of income-oriented companies aren't really giving you that much extra for the added risk that you're taking. Mm. I, so I think that's actually, I, I would be, if I was an income-oriented person, or particularly if I just had a bit of capital that I felt as though there was a high likelihood I was going to need in the in the short to maybe even medium term. So for example, I'm saving up for a deposit or something like that. I certainly, and you know, I expected that I wanted to buy next year or something mm. i'm a big advocate for equities but i'm not putting it in the market like, who knows could drop 50 percent tomorrow I, I i don't I, I will take again opportunity cost i will take what is historically probably a lower return but for the certainty of knowing that my money will be there when when i need it so it's sort of part, part of the part of the calculus that's that's there um if if we're talking about just total returns here and one is compounding internally in a business and I can leave that untouched for 20 years and there's no tax event until I finally sell. That is a massive advantage. I think it's just insanely good advantage. So you're absolutely right to consider that. Whereas if I'm getting um, my interest paid out uh, on a regular basis, I'm not going to get that, that discount. You need, you need to factor it in. Absolutely. But general statement is the higher interest rates go, the less attractive equities become. People often talk these days in the context of property. It's like, remember in the 80s when we were all paying whatever it was, interest rate? And imagine if you could put your money in the bank and get a 10, let's call it a 10% yield on that. Mm-hmm. Now, things are probably, it's probably a pretty scary time, to be honest. <laughs> Careful what you yeah, wish for. It's like, exactly, why yeah, am I yeah, getting that yeah. great? At, yeah. But anyway, um, I'm not going to take the risk of the share market mm. if I'm looking at similar kind of returns on, on my estimates mm. that, are, that are there. So I agree. And, and this is, I'm not going to segue too far off into my favorite topic, but it's just like the, the fact that people are out there getting like 1% net yields on their investment properties at this point is like just pure madness as far as I'm concerned. When again, 4.5% in a term deposit with no tenants or real estate agents to deal with, like, or maintenance costs or this or that. Like, it seems like a no brainer and I think even if you factor in some tax things there too it's still a bit of a line call so I don't know mate what do you think Mm. oh lots of things to unpack Um, so oh man where to start cash is guaranteed um, by the Australian government Uh, now if that guarantee is no good then it's no good it's not an absolute guarantee but it's a government guarantee which as you said is as good as it gets so it's a a nominal guarantee in the sense that it's right right Think and, you know, I don't think anyone, I mean, look, we shouldn't rule out anything. We can't give absolute guarantees ever about anything other than death and taxes. But um, I'm not sure about death. But, um, the, <laughs> uh, the you know, so, so it's guarantees. It, it's, a, it's a higher quality asset um, in, in, that, in the sense of the downside protection. Now, it doesn't mean it's high quality income or, or higher income or better returns, but a higher quality asset. Secondly, uh, similarly, the uh, term deposit interest payments are, again, as good as guarantees as you're going to get. And so when you think about the returns from shares, whether that's capital growth or dividends, same thing, right? So you're getting a, your capital is guaranteed effectively. And the, um, so the capital guaranteed, the income is effectively close enough to guaranteed as you're going to get again, uh, all, all relative, but you know. So those things are really, really positive. And they're really important. If you're someone who wants to know your income won't vary, you want to know your capital's there. There's, there's real value in doing that. So there's that's why if you're going to, 
you would do something like that and and follow that that path so that's absolutely true i will say too halfway between the cash and the the stocks answer is on that same line of thinking by the way you're not wrong <laughs> but on the same line of thinking a a, a dividend is not dissimilar because you're paying dividend tax on that dividend that gets paid out. Mm. So is that interrupting compounding? Well, I guess at one level, they could retain the money and do something with it without paying tax. So, you know, a dividend is not capital growth. It's not bank interest in terms of the treatment because you get franking. Um, but, you know, reinvested dividends aren't miles away from reinvested interest in that same way because it's tax payable. Now, if it's a frank dividend, there's less tax, but a dollar of dividends in an untaxed, unfranked, sorry, dividends, a dollar bank interest is going to have the same issue. So again, think about money paid out, even if it's reinvested, uh, dividends aren't that different to shares or uh, sorry, to cash, albeit uh, if you get frank, franking credits, it's a much better way to do it. So, you know, 2% bank interest and 2% frank dividend, very different things because you get the franking credits. So there's, there's that as well. Um, it is why uh, I think, and this is, we have this conversation lots of times around income or, or, um, or growth, because I will say the other thing is a company that pays a dividend is likely to be a more stable company, likely to be less risky, likely to have less downside risk, likely to be a higher quality cash flow. Now, doesn't mean it can't go broke, doesn't mean others won't have more cash flow over time, doesn't mean the capital growth won't overtake the returns from dividends, but a dividend paying business is profitable, almost certainly, other than the ones we talked about on Friday, the transurbans, um, you know, is, is stable, has the cash generation, you are taking. I think on average it's fair to say less risk investing in those than those that don't pay dividends. Now, Berkshire doesn't pay dividends, so you know, compare that. Um, Solpats does, and I own both of these, and has also beaten the market over the long term with dividends reinvested. So it's a it's a more nuanced conversation I think many people realise. But Jimmy, you are right to to raise it, right to ask the question. And I don't think you're miles away. Uh, a company that can reinvest its profits at market being rates is going to outperform anything, anything, including shares, to pay out those dividends, you have to pay tax on, and then reinvest them or cash in the bank. We have to do the same. So uh, your question is absolutely spot on. You're absolutely right about the returns. Uh, just, just whenever you do those numbers, just allow a margin of error, not margin of safety, mm-hmm. sorry, margin of error in the higher growth assets because if those assumptions hold true, then the returns will be this. Uh, it's less. It's less of an assumption to believe that cash is safe or that the dividends will get. Sorry, the interest will get paid. Uh, less of a risk, I think, about the business's uh, existence or even maybe eventually capital. You know, uh, movement downwards if it's paying a dividend, but less upside in both those cases than a growth business that can effectively reinvest all that capital. And I'm, I, I own Sop Hats that pays dividend. I own Berkshire that doesn't. More than happy if Uncle Warren keeps the cash for as long as he can get a return on it. That being said, it's got $200 billion worth of cash right now and they can't do anything with it. So there's also a, a very real question about, you know, is it, is, is it interrupting compounding paying the dividend or is it interrupting compounding not getting a return on $200 billion that's sitting in the bank account waiting for something to do with it? And again, I'm not going to second guess Uncle Warren, but in almost any other case, there's, there's, there's a, a point in time at which the cash is better paid out to me or repurchasing shares of something else rather than being kept and reinvested. Ram? Yeah, no, I agree with all of that. Um, I mean, I wish there was more straightforward. I'm really mindful too, whenever we get questions like this, it's on one hand this and on the other hand that and this, and it just, just, unfortunately, the 
the reality of, of all of this stuff. There's always compromise, there's always opportunity cost, and there's always an uncertain future. I mean, I'll tell you in 10 years what you should have done today, right? Exactly. In fact, go back to 2012 and put all your yeah. money in Bitcoin, right? Correct, like that is, that is the thing to do because you'd be a gazillionaire right now. Correct. So it's sort of, it's just, it's hard to know, but it's, it is, mm-hmm. um, they are the right questions. Yes, they are the right questions. And it doesn't, and, even, it doesn't even matter, mate, because once you start thinking that way, then you start to make some rough estimates and, and trade-offs. Yes, and yep. so you'll, be, you'll be roughly right. You'll never be precisely right, and you'll be you might be you might be slightly wrong in a relative sense. But asking those yep. right questions, going through the thought process, you'll get to a better place. Absolutely. And as I'm, I and I I like to the way I like to do it increasingly so is to don't settle on one set of assumptions. Like just test a whole mm. series of things. My best case scenario, worst case scenario, um, my best guess. You know. For some things like a term deposit, it's going to be a really narrow range of outcomes, like a yes, hyper narrow right. range. Yeah, you know? yeah that's, totally. I mean, it, it almost then, almost zero, right? Because it's uh, just unless, a line. Unless, yeah, yeah. I mean, I mean, over time, I guess the interest rate will change. So as you as you uh, renew that term deposit, it'll be a higher, lower rate. So there's some volatility or variability in the in the interest percentage. But other yep. than that, as you say, that it's not going to be a, a huge difference. Go back to Bailador, right? There'll be companies mm. in there that'll be zero or could be a billion dollars in the year yep. 2040. Like, lit- like that, that could easily happen. Like, and and uh, <laughs> which is the which is the right mm-hmm. answer? Mm-hmm. Um, so, I mean, I, I like I like to try and I, I've always liked the um, Monash Pabrai saying of heads I win, tails I don't lose too much. Mm. Like, in the sense that there's always going to be a um, uh, an uncertain future, mm-hmm. but I want it where at least if things don't go my way and I'm realistic in knowing that four or five times out of 10, it's probably mm-hmm. not going to go my way. Yeah. I'm not going to, I'm going to stand, I'm going to survive, right? I'm going to stay at the table. I'm going to, I'm going um, right. to live to fight another day. Yep. yep. <laughs> and that's it. And it, but, 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 but I, I, I want to, what I'm really trying to do with investing is I'm trying to put, I'm trying to find a target rich environment <laughs> where I'm going to maximize my chance yeah. that, that I'm, I'm going to, they say you make your own luck, right? Like luck is luck. You know, you can't, you can't plan for it, but you can position yourself for it. And I think that's a very good way of thinking about it and know that, know that um, on one end of the spectrum, you're taking all your money and you're going and you're putting it on red or black at the casino. <laughs> <laughs> and and the other you you you're putting it all in in you know buying a lump of gold and burying it in the backyard you know or some, something like yeah, that yeah. and 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 you oh gosh it, <laughs> there's no right it, it, what's right for me will be different for you Scott and we're very similar in a lot of ways but yes. I'm sure it'll be vastly different I mean our portfolios are, I'm sure are really different <laughs> and 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 yet and then there'll be other people out there that just it spreads out so much but you're th- you're asking the right questions be grounded the natural tendency will always be to sort of favor the really exciting upside because mm-hmm. that's that's what we do as humans yep. um, I don't know what I'm saying at this point just 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 keep it real and you are and 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 consider all the possibilities yep now that mate Motley Fool Money. For more, subscribe to the free newsletter at fool.com.au forward slash listener. Hey, let's get a question from Patrick, uh, who was very nice. He says, uh, Hi, Scott Andrew. Still loving the podcast. It helps me with my thought processes when making investment decisions. (laughs) 
And listening to Andrew helps me think I'm not the only one who goes off the deep end on various social issues. <laughs> Make of that what you will. I think he means it as a compliment. A thought and a question for the podcast. Uh, thought is, if you're interested in helping more women invest, then a small contribution could be to get more female guests for the good oil. Great pod, by the way, says Patrick. Um, we were about 50% women. I think we might have tipped over to slightly more blokes, but um, I have been trying, not actively, but pretty passively, pretty kind of aware of of the gender mix, um, doing our level best. Uh, good Oil is kind of more a business podcast than an investing podcast, so I probably could do more work there, but thank you for the suggestion, Patrick. I'll definitely keep that in mind. His question says, I liked your financials and valuation episode. It got me thinking about valuations for an entire index, like the ASX. Is there any merit in ascertaining something like the PE for the ASX or another country's index as a way to see if the entire market is over or underpriced? I appreciate this would be a crude way of measuring value, but I thought it might point to further things to be invested in. Cheers, Mm. Patrick. What do you reckon, mate? Yeah, well, um, great minds think alike, Patrick. (laughs) Uh, No less than Warren Buffett has um, thought along those lines. Mm. In in fact, it's actually, if you Google the Buffett indicator, Mm. he'll tell you that uh, a way that he sort of thought about it before is is looking at the, what is it, the market cap of the entire US divided by the GDP. Yep. So it's yep. it's kind of like a price to earnings, but like yes. on a on a very big macro kind of scale, mm-hmm. and it's incredibly crude. In that case, but he's measuring you- the value of the market against the total output of the economy, and you know the, the valuation yeah. of the market being being some proportion of of economic output for the country. Yep. Yeah, and look, the market is not the economy, and mm-hmm. you know, in a world of interest rates at 0.1%, percent, it's very different <laughs> than in a world <laughs> where right. interest rates are at nine percent. Yep. Yep. Um, but it's not it's not unreasonable to say that you know the higher that gets the the, the more expensive things are all else being equal yeah that's right so it's handy but I mean he himself is going to tell you oh gosh I, I never invest on the basis of that mm-hmm. you know? uh, in fact he he um, shuns macro pretty heavily yeah not because it's not important just because you can't do it and I don't, <laughs> that's I don't right. think many, many people yeah. can yeah. Yeah. Uh, even even the great man himself so. Um, yeah, I think I think you, I, I like where you're coming from. I, I, I like the idea. I think there is some value in it in trying to get a sense of things. Actually, Howard Marks talks a bit about this as well. Another investor I'm quite fond of, and he basically says not that you would try and sort of time things on that, but it might influence how aggressive you are. So right. you yeah, continue okay. to stay invested. You continue to allocate. I mean, this is, we talk about being no free kicks in investing, mm-hmm. no free lunch. Well, there's two, actually. <laughs> One's diversification and one is dollar cost averaging. Mm-hmm. And so just keep doing it, right? Yeah. Even when it's sort of difficult to do. But that's the point, yeah. right? Yeah. Um, so so I, I wouldn't, I wouldn't say uh, make big wholesale changes. Mm-hmm. But when things are at the lower end of that historic range, yeah. I think it probably, probably pays to be more aggressive than you otherwise would be, yeah. knowing that the timing is still going to suck. Oh, it's really low at the moment. <laughs> I'm going to go harder. And then it goes down another 20%. Yeah. Like, that will happen. It will absolutely happen. So take it with a grain of salt. I think it's an interesting thing to watch. I think – I haven't looked at it for a while, but I want to say that at this point in time – it's probably towards the upper quartile of its historic range in Australia. Do you have a sense of where we are? I don't actually know um, at all, I have to say. Uh, I don't spend much time in it either. I... <sighs> Got a couple of things to I'm say. Gonna, I'm going to Google while yeah, you, you do talk. that while I, I might find it. Mate, um, so I... Where to start this one? 
generally speaking, my approach is if I disagree with Warren Buffett, I assume I'm the one who's wrong. Uh, Buffett hasn't talked about the Buffett indicator for a while. I think this is far, far less useful than it used to be for what it's worth. Um, because the US, once upon a time, the US market was US companies and US GDP was US economic output. And that was kind of reasonably able to be um, assessed or compared. These days, more than half of the S&P 500's revenue comes from outside the US. And yet you're comparing the value of those companies just to the US output. And I actually, so I think this, the Buffett indicator to whatever extent it was accurate, I'm pretty sure it's broken down as a reliable indicator, or at least we should expect that it's changed meaningfully since it was originally talked about. So that, that, that's my that's my take on that. It's a one area. I don't think Buffett itself even pushes it anymore, as you said, but those who those who do, based on something Buffett said 50 years ago, I think it is far, far, far less useful than it used to be. So I'll, I'll say that up front. Um, secondly, in terms of the PEs about the total market, I actually agree with you. It's, I, it's a bit like my uh, approach to currencies. When the currency is kind of there or thereabouts around the historic averages, I'm like, no, eh, it is what it is. If you get to an extreme in either direction, you know, if the average PE for the Australian stock market is 16 and it's at 8, you probably should be paying attention. If the average PE of the market is 16 and the PE is at 60 or 50 or 30, you're probably going to say, that feels like I should be careful right now. So it might, it might give you an ability or a way to um, moderate your existing or, or current impulses in either direction based on where the market sits to either make you more more interested than you otherwise are or to make you more cautious than you otherwise might be so those things i think are true that all being said i wouldn't use it at all to make any investments ever and the reason i would say that is because i've said this about ETFs. so this is this is a version of the uh thematic etf conversation we've had a few times before ram which is if i'm going to buy a cybersecurity etf if i think cybersecurity is going to be a thing that's fine as far as it goes as a starting point. But if I'm going to buy the cybersecurity ETF, even if I know the PE for the ETF, and I probably could find it, I've got to work out whether that is justified by the companies that are in the ETF, the future of the companies that are in the ETF, how sustainable or otherwise their profitability is, and all the questions I'd ask about a single company. If I'm buying an ETF for, about, for a theme, a cybersecurity theme, or a, I don't know, consumer staples or gold or whatever else it is, right? I've got to make sure that the companies in that ETF are actually worth investing at the current prices and form mm-hmm. a view on that. Now, if I'm looking at the ASX 200, just pick, a, pick an ETF. Now, sorry, quickly, this is different to passive investing in the ETF. I passively invest in ETFs happily, dollar cost average regularly. I'm not making judgments about valuations, specifically, because it's a low cost index ETF and I've got a really long-term horizon. But if I'm looking at the ASX ETF and saying, is it time to buy it today? I've got to start by saying, right, BHP, what's the share price? What's the level of profitability? How sustainable is that profitability? How likely do I think the share price is a reasonable valuation? Okay, done that one. Now let's go to CBA and do the same thing. Now let's do Telstra and News Corp and CSL and Cochlear and ResMed and Rio and Fortescue and Woolworths and West Farmers and, and, and you get the idea. I just don't think because it, no PE is, is cheap or expensive. A company with a PE of seven could be about to go broke. A company at a P of 1,000 could be about to break into a new market and quadruple profit overnight. You can't just look at a PE and say, it is that, it was that, or it used to be that, or the average is that, therefore anything, in my view. So it's interesting, Patrick. It does give you a sense of, it's more of ability to look at what the market thinks rather than what you should do. The PE of the market is seven. Wow, the market must is probably pretty pessimistic right now. That's probably fair. But if the PE is 13, it's normally 16. I don't know, the chance you can actually work out whether the market is worth investing in on that basis. 
Um, maybe we've just finished a boom. Maybe we're going to a recession. Maybe, maybe we're not. Maybe we've come out of a recession. The market's all pessimistic. That you know, it can mean anything. Uh, I, I would never. I don't think make an investment in a, in any ETF, including index ETF, as an active investor, based on a PE without doing the work on the companies that are in that ETF. Ram. Yeah. I mean, I guess there's one one thing to say is that if it was that easy. We'd all do it, yeah, oh, you right. know. Yep. Goldman Sachs would have the whole division set up, and <laughs> and then that would that would arbitrage the entire opportunity yeah. away. It's just we all, and I know I know the listener's not saying this. So I'm not putting words in your mouth, yep. but we all yep. love to think that there is just a metric or a set of things out there, a set of rules that if I follow, I will do really well, um, or better than average. Even I don't. I don't know if there is such a thing, mm. to be honest. Yep. And, and, and where there is such a thing, a process, it's probably one that is, is, is couched heavily mm. in the qualitative and the subjective. Mm. You know, it's things like good companies at good prices, which is unarguably true. But, well, what do you mean by good company? What's a good price? You know, you start going down the rabbit hole. <laughs> so it's, 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 very, it's okay. very tricky. Yeah. Yeah. Um, you did get me thinking, though. Uh, oh, so, so a couple of things. I said I'd yep. do some Googling. I found a site called Guru, Guru Focus. Um, they say that the Buffett indicator for Australia is fair valued at the moment. The 20-year maximum is 153% of our market cap over GDP. Uh, the 20-year the minimum is 74, and we're at 102% right now. So fair value, according according to them. Uh, take 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 from that what you will. I mean, we know we know uh, that we know that the miners are making squillions, and may not moving forward, and that will change. I I, I can't. I mean, look exactly. I mean, look. I'm. I know you're just saying I'm, that. I just I, I, I my skin crawls when I hear it because I'm just like there is so we know maybe more about Australia than anywhere actually, given how exposed we are to certain industries. Like yeah. you know, bank profits are up a bit, but not much. Mining profits are probably going to be down. Yeah. I'm not saying don't invest. I'm not saying returns are going to be terrible, but I'm, I am saying if you're using historical financials and the current share price to pick some of these things, oh, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. No, I get it. I mean, hey, look, this is why I invest outside of the main areas. <laughs> yeah. I, actually, a friend rang me this morning. What am I missing here? It's like it's in reporting season. I don't want right. to mention any names. It's like, my gosh, these guys are just knocking it out of the park. Mm-hmm. I mean, revenue growth, earnings growth, strong balance sheet. They're trading on a P of 12 you know, and that you've got other uh, unquestionably good companies and CSL's on like 40 or something. And, you know, just like, what What am I missing here? And it's like, well, you're probably not missing anything. It's, it's just the fact that this the, the market will do these mm. kinds of things and it will yep. remain seemingly irrational for a long period of time. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know what everyone's thinking, um, but I know what I would prefer to buy. And I'm happy to sit of sit on this for maybe potentially years. And it's always a gradually than suddenly thing. You know, you sit on this thing, no one sees it, and then everyone sees it, and then, yeah, you know. Right. <laughs> so, but it can take goes. a long time for anyone to start seeing it, right? Like it's not an oh, overnight. Ages. Yeah. Ages. And you kind of, you really start to doubt your sanity. Um, anyway, <laughs> so there's, there, there, is, there is that. And, <laughs> and, and that, that is why, again, I think markets are dangerous because, mm. well, I'm, unless you are buying an ETF, um, or trying to trade around an ETF on this, it's kind of irrelevant because they're mm. just, just you, you can. It's like people often say when we talk about property, it's like, well, I hear what you're saying, but you know, there are some locations where I'm actually getting very attractive net yields. It's like, yep, 
totally fair point. That, that is an excellent point, in fact. You know, and 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 there, if you if you can secure a good asset, paying a good yield, even in a market that might ostensibly, on the average, overall be hot, yeah, you're yeah. still doing an entirely sensible thing, right? So mm-hmm. that's the benefit of being a stock picker. The other thing I wanted to say here, just just I'm just going to put it out there because it's mm-hmm. interesting. You were talking about the dollar before. Um, the dollar is, as we speak. Uh, uh, at the lowest point, so. yeah, yeah, sixty-three actually. Mm. Oh wow, there you go. So the only time it's been lower than this was in COVID mm. at the at the peak at the uh, trough there, which didn't last very long. Then you have to go back to the GFC to find another uh, period yep. where it was this low. Then you have to go back to the dot-com crash. Mm-hmm. Then you have to go back to the nineteen eighties recession. So it's it's uh, look mm-hmm. I, again. I'm not, I don't know what's the so what. I don't know. You you decide what the so what is. It's just noteworthy. Can't, I, can't be great. Can't be great for inflation. I'll put that out there. Mm-hmm. No, it's not good for inflation at all. Uh, because obviously, lower dollar, the higher the cost of imports are, and if we're buying the same amount of imports, we're paying more for them. Uh, Have you seen the petrol price lately? <laughs> yeah, well, yeah, only, wow. only the past couple of days too jumped back up massively, um, yep. which is not not pretty. And this is why, this, uh, segueing into dangerous territory mm-hmm. here, but th- this is why the RBA is going to find it very difficult to go against mm-hmm. other big central banks. Yeah, totally. Right? Because yep. it absolutely matters. Mm, I don't know. I don't, you know what my view on it is, but I mean, if, if Jerome keeps hiking mm-hmm. and we don't, there that is going to put more and more pressure on our dollar which mm-hmm. is going to put more and more pressure on our prices, which is going to put, in turn, eventually more and more pressure on them to, to lift rates. So 100%. anyway, interesting. It is, it is. Um, I'm not sure I'm not sure what we... Uh, uh, well, I, I'm a big fan of investing in the US. I wouldn't be sending money across to the US right now to, to invest, put it that way. Um, Tell you what. Go on. Oh, sorry, mate. Sorry, I thought you were finished. Okay. I, I think we've got a bit of a delay. Um, the, the, I've got a bunch of Aussie companies who earn a lot of money overseas. Right. Nice. So I'm pretty happy with this because when they send the money back home, um, mm-hmm. I'm getting more of it. <laughs> yeah, totally. So that's nice. Which goes both ways, of course, if you're holding for the long term. So you've got to be careful about it. And by the way, speaking of um, look, looking backwards, even when the dollar does change, you're going to be getting less of it. People are reported lower earnings. Like, well, yeah. just currencies go and do what currencies do. It's yep. um, why it's why I desperately hate companies that, that hedge unless they absolutely need to for, for cost certainty, for example. Because yeah. um, it's going to go both ways. So you're paying for insurance in both cases, in which case the insurer is getting rich and you just get the average result you would have got otherwise, just with a little bit less volatility. Um, yep. Paying insurance for that seems like a crazy, crazy thing to do if you're, if you're me. But uh, anyone, everyone's different, mate. It's one of those wonderful things about, uh, about life. But yeah, generally, if, if a company that I own um, is hedging, I, I'm, I'm, I'm pretty happy. Speaking of which, and I don't know about your companies, mate, but the other people should be mindful of is companies that choose to change their reporting uh, measurements. Often, when the currency is yes. uh, is in your favour, yes. is against you, is, is in your favour, they'll report normal earnings. When it's against you, they say, "Oh, but in constant currency terms, constant it was okay. currency terms." Uh, now, yeah. neither is neither is wrong. They should report both. They should always report both. If a company chooses or starts to report one, then the other in in def- different circumstances. Um, There's general, by the way, in the middle of earnings season, so good timing. Uh, anytime a company changes its reporting metrics, be very, very, very careful because they're trying to spin you. Uh, but this is just one of the more egregious examples of just happily changing your uh, your, your your reporting uh, basis because you just kind of just kind of feel like it and seems like a a clever way to try and fool a couple of investors. I, yeah, it's um, it's pretty it's pretty awful. I think. Yes, I agree. 
Well, I guess we'll uh, I guess we'll see. Mate, um, let's go to the next question, which is from Hmm. Sam says, Hi Scott and Andrew. I'd be interested if Scott could discuss on the podcast his thesis for Amazon, including what would cause him to sell. Also, I'd be interested in new, your thoughts about a new ETF offering, personalized ETFs. The concept is that each investor could design their own ETF by choosing the companies and ETFs held in what percentage, and that could then invest regularly with one brokerage fee and a predetermined allocation. Thanks for the podcast. I really enjoy it. Cheers from Sam. Um, I'll kick off with the Amazon stuff, mate. Um, I So the first thing I'm going to say, Sam, is my selling borders on, to use a, a Buffett phrase, benign neglect. Uh, I am far, far less likely to sell than Ram is as, as a style, as an investor. Uh, and that's generally because I tend to find businesses whose futures I think are pretty attractive. Um, not that Ram does it, so I, sorry, I, shouldn't, I shouldn't make it a comparison, but I just, I just want to say that you know, I'm just a slow seller and a, and a rare seller. I probably sold twice in the last three years, <laughs> maybe something like that. Um, I'm an accumulator of shares. Uh, and I, I try to, I, I've said before, one of my favorite phrases, I try to be slow to buy and even slower to sell, which, which is to say that I'm looking for great businesses who have really great long-term futures. And if I found them, I'm kind of bunking down with them. I'm kind of saying, well, let's see where you guys can take this. Not in a, not in a hyper growth, you know, shoot the moon type stuff, but in a, in a um, this should be good for a very long term. I'm just going to bunk down and see if you can get there. And so I, I set that up semi in advance because I haven't thought about selling Amazon, I think, ever since I own the shares. It doesn't mean I won't. Uh, I spend very, very little time thinking about when I'd sell Amazon. So I love the question, mate, because it makes me kind of go back to that and, and confront the question. Um, but I think Amazon's got plenty of headroom to go. I like the company. I like the culture. I like the 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 way they're growing the business. I don't love some of their employment uh, relation practices, by the way. So I'm not a, I'm not a, I'm not an unbiased cheerleader. Oh, sorry, I'm not a biased. Uh, yeah, not a biased cheerleader. Um, there are some things I wish they'd do differently. Um, but I think Amazon's business model is um, a virtuous circle. Scale begets lower prices. Begets more marketing opportunity begets more international expansion. Uh, the distribution model itself, uh, the more you sell, the more warehouses you can open, the more warehouses you open, the, the greater the chance you're close to a customer. That's why their Amazon Prime program went from two-day delivery to one-day delivery, and eventually it'll be you know a couple of hour delivery in Metro. Why? Because they'll have warehouses everywhere. And so you They're already doing that in some US cities, I go. heard the other day. Isn't that amazing? And, and, and why can they do it? Because their warehouses are close, because they can afford to have lots of them. Um, because they've got so much volume, so much demand, they can put it everywhere. So wait, wait till wait till the drones start delivering, and the uh, uh, the warehouses are fully right? humanoid robots. Right, <laughs> which so, by the way ain't that far away. No, exactly. Know, and, I, and, I interrupt you. And who's most likely to benefit from that? The guys who are biggest and best and growing fastest and have the, you know, mm. and and frankly, by the way, one of the benefits we don't talk about a lot. Berkshire has it, Amazon has it, others, Tesla has it. Um, very, 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 very committed shareholders who believe strongly in what you're doing, which means you don't have to whipsaw yourself every time something changes. You know, if you've got an investor knocking the door saying, oh, I think you should change strategy now, your results weren't great last quarter, most companies have to say, well, okay, maybe. Uh, Amazon, Berkshire, uh, Tesla, probably some others, say, yeah, no thanks, we're good. Uh, we'll keep doing what we're doing because we think it's the right thing to do. That's a that's a superpower as a company. So, sorry, Sam, I'm answering your question what I'd sell by saying when I wouldn't sell. Um, it would ha- it's a, it, it, it wouldn't... To my mind, it wouldn't be valuation unless valuation got extreme. 
uh, I would be looking to reconsider my Amazon uh, thesis if and when sequential moderate length term, so not super long term, not short term, uh, medium term, maybe call it, uh, sales growth continued to peter off. Amazon has shows no signs yet of hitting maturity as a as a as a on its revenue line. Uh, it will at some point, um, and at that point, you want to be very very careful how much you're paying for these shares. It's been growing its top and bottom lines consistently, top line more consistently actually, to be fair, um, for 25 years. Now, at COVID, through all retails for a bit of a, a bump, so you've got to look at that and kind of look through those numbers. Had some great sales when everyone was at home. Sales went backwards when everyone went back to the shops because they went back to the shops. Uh, you shouldn't be surprised by that or worried about that. I'm certainly not. But if, if sales fell and continued to... Um, uh, sorry, sales growth fell and continued to fall and was kind of getting towards maturity, then the math starts to go from exponential to all of a sudden a much lower range of outcomes, in which case valuation becomes much more important. So that would be the most likely starting point for me to say, uh, how sure am I this is a good company to own at the right at the current price? The other one would be if there's a change in corporate strategy. If I saw a sense that Amazon went from what I've already talked about, this this kind of monster scale machine to somehow try and placate investors or or cutting um, you know growth investments because they're trying to be clever and, and please the markets or, or something else, um, that would be the time I'd get out. I'm a big fan of, of company and management cultures I'm a big fan of businesses that know what they're trying to do and when they're trying to do them. And if I think that begets a, a great quality economic engine, like I think it does with Amazon, again, I could be entirely wrong, as Ram said before at Bailador, um, that's, what I would, that's what I would choose to sell. What do you think I've got right and wrong in that answer, mate? Nothing. I think it's spot on. Um, I own it Amazon too. Oh, do you? Um, oh, yeah. Sorry, well, no, I own, I own the beta shares NDQ ETF. Oh, okay. Um, right, okay. Which which five percent five point five percent of which yeah, is Amazon? Yeah, so getting bigger so too. I own, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so I, I do. I genuinely yeah. own it. Yep. Um, here's here, we're talking. This is going to dovetail nicely into what we were saying before. So mm. you, you dial it up. You look at Yahoo Finance or whatever your ch- chosen portal is. You go, oh, well, PE of three hundred and twenty-one mm. for a one point three eight trillion dollar company. <laughs> mm. <laughs> <Yep>. Seems <laughs> seems up there. Think, okay. Wait a sec. And then let's look at price to sales, like 2.7 times. Like, hmm, that's mm. up there for a trillion dollar company. Mm-hmm. And I think that's a real first level take on it. Uh, th- these guys could cut out a g- huge amounts of costs if they mm. wanted to and mm. be, I would suspect they, I mean, the retail, not so much, but AWS in particular, I'm sure they could operate at at least 10 or 15% net margins if they mm. wanted to. Mm. Right, they don't, and they don't because of the exact reason that you said. And 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 Bezos has just been, I mean, he studied in business schools for exactly this kind of thing, right? Yep. It's just like yep. I, we take our money and we reinvest and we reinvest. We try and be self-funding, okay? So we don't want to be on rely on the good nature of capital markets, but we are we are keeping our money and we are adding costs, and we're not really adding costs. We're actually really investing for the future. And so this is a company that started selling books online. <laughs> Right, and now, now they've now they've like it's not what you think of when you think of Amazon. I mean, AWS is just the crown and the the jewel in the crown, as far as I'm concerned. It's just like the best business ever. Yeah, great. Um, and but but the retail thing is just huge as well, and it is just getting going. Mm. And so I I think I think when you look at the uh, you you mentioned before that sales went backwards in COVID. I don't think they did. 
I actually think they went massively up mm-hmm. uh, in. So t- oh, here we go: two hundred and eighty billion dollars in twenty nineteen in total revenue, three hundred and eighty six billion in twenty twenty, four hundred and seventy in twenty twenty one. Thanks, COVID. Um, but even next year in twenty twenty two, it was five thirteen. So it didn't yep. go. You know, it was only a ten, only a ten percent. This is again a trillion dollar company. On these literally, sizes, correct, yeah. half a trillion dollars in in sales, mm-hmm. and and they are growing at ten percent. You know, it's sort of, if there is a regret that I, I I don't want to talk about it again because I'm sick of the self-flagellation, but there's, there's a, there's a company that I sold early (laughs) and I think that's your superpower, honestly, mate. Like I I think you definitely, by, by being very slow to sell, you, you, you suffer a lot of unnecessary falls, quote unquote, but you also get a lot of gains that the quote unquote smarter people don't get because we worry too much about valuation mm. and other things. When you've yeah. got a company of, of, of this competitively advantaged um, and with such a long runway yeah. and with so much optionality, just don't get cute with it. I mean, that's not to say it couldn't fall a hell of a lot. Like it, it could easily fall yeah. a lot, right? As again, those if, if if there was a any nasty shock on U.S. markets, mm-hmm. I, I would not, I would not be surprised at all to see this thing drop thirty. In fact, let's have a look. It was at what one eighty in the end of twenty twenty one, and it got to eighty. Like, mm. like it dropped more in like. That is huge. That is mm-hmm. such a massive drop. And now it's 135, still below that high point that, that's there. So the market's going to move all over the place. But again, I can go back in my little chart to 2000 and say, oh, you could have bought it at $4. And, that's you know, right. a few years later, it was at a dollar. Oh, you know, what an idiot for not selling. And it's like, well, you know, I could have gone to... 2007, it was $4.50 and then it crashed down to $3. Oh, you, you know, you idiot. Oh, sorry, $2.20. You're an idiot for not selling. And, you know, in 2014, it was $20 and then it crashed, you know, 38%. Mm-hmm. And then again and again and again, I can just keep repeating that kind of stuff. So it depends on who you are, but knowing you and knowing you're a very long-term focused person, you're not going to overthink a, a company like that. I'm just repeating what you're saying at this point. So it's sort of, yeah, I, I, I don't begrudge you and, and your holding. Again, can I just re- repeat yeah, my statements from Forbes but Bailey? Or please, please, because we're speaking <laughs> yeah, positively right. about this. Don't run out and buy it. <laughs> and, it's, and I think that's the just just quickly to kind of touch on that point you made before, mate. The, the I, I, again, one of my one of I've got to write this down at some point. But growth covers a multitude of valuation sins. Oh yeah. And to your point, all those all those historical examples you gave where it looked overvalued, it fell. See, it was overvalued, except it went then back to higher levels and higher levels and higher levels again, and. Will I eventually have a 25, 40% fall before I sell a share? Probably, yeah. You know, Guaranteed when this game almost, is over, because yeah. I'm slow, slow to sell, it will get to price X and eventually it'll fall to something like, you know, 25 or 30% less than X and I'll sell. And I'll, mm. will I regret the fall f- from the, the peak? Well, it'll suck because I could have sold that for, at the peak for most money. But first, I couldn't know when that peak was going to be. Secondly, in doing so, I will have held through, hopefully, half a dozen or a dozen peaks on the way at much lower levels. So mm. one goes to 60, goes to five, goes back to three, goes to 10, goes back to six, goes to 15, goes back to 10, and so on and so forth, mm. all the way up, right? I'm going to miss that last one. I'm not going to sell at the peak because I'm never going to. And eventually someone's going to say, I told you you should have sold earlier. And the answer will be, yeah, mathematically, look at the price. It's, it's inevitably true. Had I sold earlier, I would have made, I would, you know, made more money. Mm. But avoiding selling on the way through is going to make me so much more than that last one I miss. 
Mm. And so that's kind of why that that's the maths. If you've got a business that is a really high quality company that's going to grow hopefully for many 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 years, then that's exactly. I mean, I've I've held Amazon for quite a long time on and off. I've added to it regularly, um, but not recently with the dollar. It is by the way. Speaking of our last question, but um, on the way through, I've had significant falls right and it's happened and could i have sold it a, a, high, a cheap high price and bought back at a cheap price yeah in theory but just sitting there going you know what i, I believe the business is going to do what it's going to do i'm going to stay with it um over time i think it'll be better and more valuable that's been super worthwhile and i think don't do it for crap businesses you know buffett yeah. says buffett quote yeah. time is the friend of the wonderful business it's the enemy of the mediocre hmm. if you're an ordinary business the longer you're, you're around the worst thing is going to get yeah. if you're a great business the longer you're around the more those attributes that make you great will combine and frankly multiply each other to give you a much better result mm. and so the things i like about amazon remain true i think remain true for probably years i think amazon is you know not exactly still getting going but you know it's only 25 years old um buy walmart 25 years after it started you still made a lot of money right uh, there, there's, there's there's upside left i think this is going to be a dominant business for a long time that's why i own it um, which is again, Sam. It is. It feels like a, a sneaky way to not answer your question. Um, but seriously, I, I I haven't thought about selling Amazon since I owned it. I, I have never. I, I don't think I haven't thought about it now. Recently, I see no reason to believe the story is over. That's that's good enough for me. But a, a slowing in growth uh, or a change in corporate culture would would make me reconsider. Yeah. Um, but the second part of Sam's question was the the personal ETF idea about. Uh, being able to kind of design your own ETF with grabbing companies and ETFs in, in, in a certain proportion and then just investing regularly. What do you reckon? Is that, is that a, a worthwhile product? Should we have it? Should we use it? Should we buy them? What, what do you think? Isn't that just a portfolio? I don't, I don't understand. So I thought so too when I first read it, but the last bit was, uh, quote, and could then invest regularly with one brokerage fee and in a predetermined allocation. Uh, so I think oh, it's kind of okay. you've got a dollar yeah. cost average with a single trade into a proportional, which I get, right? We've talked about people saying, well, I want to buy these, but I've only got so much money a month. How do I kind of work out which ones to buy? Hmm. In theory, if you said, well, I'm going to DCA into these four ETFs and these 10 companies, just buy more every month of, of all of them together. That kind of personal yeah. ETF idea is, I think, what I think what Sam's getting at. Oh, well, okay. Yeah. All right. Um, yeah, I'm not opposed to it. Someone will, or probably already has, come up with a product. So the question would be, so there's two parts to it. Mm. What, what do I like the idea? Um, yeah, I don't hate the idea. Mm. Would I pay someone <laughs> 200 basis points? <laughs> no, I wouldn't. Just tell, us, some, tell us what a basis point is, mate. Well, uh, so so uh, uh, 1% is, is 100 basis points. Okay. Uh, I don't know why they use that terminology. Anyway, um, the the but yeah, so two percent and and a lot of a lot of financial products sort of around that kind of mark. And yep. so I, I, I there's nothing wrong with some. I mean, we I don't begrudge anyone making a margin when mm. they provide a good or a service that is valuable to me. Mm. I mean, in fact, that is, that is that is the crux of civilization, really. So we all do things. I mean, none of us are doing anything without. You know, uh, um, mm. getting value for our time and effort and capital. So that's that's what that's what we do. Fine, um, but at a point, it becomes a bit too egregious. Where it's like, I, I might as well just do this myself, right? So that's that's the that's the the thing I would say. And it's really not that hard to do yourself. So you have to be extraordinarily, especially if you have to come up with the stocks to begin with. And then really all you're doing is avoiding having the individual allocation decisions each month whenever you want to allocate. Mm, 
you know, how much value is that maybe? So if someone, if you're telling me that there's a product out there and it does it for very, very, very low cost, like, yeah, okay, knock you, fill your boots. Yeah. But it would have to be pretty cheap. But me, again, there's no right or wrong here. It's a personal decision. But for me personally, it'd have to be really, really cheap for me to, to consider it because I actually like the flexibility mm. of as money comes into my sweaty little palms, <laughs> I can say, I don't actually want to, I don't want to equally distribute that across my entire portfolio. Because when I look at my portfolio today, there are some companies in there that I just like better on a risk reward basis mm -hmm. not just on the quality of the company but how cheap it might happen there are some stocks i'm holding at the moment i just think a much better value than at other ones so at this point in time if you gave me some extra money i'm going to buy in xyz um in two months time it might the market may have moved around and it may be that there's another company in my portfolio that i want to allocate to so i actually gives me the ability to sort of reweight things without being too cute on selling and rebuying and all of that kind of stuff. It's a nice, mm. it's a nice sort of balancing thing. And again, that's just me. Um, but yeah, sometimes, I mean, this whole ETF mm. thing, what I'm such a fan of the general low cost ETF, e e low cost ETF, but you know, the product providers are getting a little bit too cute. I don't know. What do you think? Oh, I'm, I'm torn, mate. Um, I think I agree. I conceptually like the idea. Um, oh, I don't know. There's many. <laughs> we just about, just about value and quality when it came to Amazon and, and the order of those things. <clears throat> there is a there is a portfolio I could imagine that if you said to me I could I could buy a couple of ETFs and these five companies every month for the prevailing share price. Do I think we'd, I do really well? Yes, if if the fees were very 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 modest, as you say, um, if it was always if I bought more Berkshire, more Amazon, more Sop, that's probably companies I own, right? Who cares? It just is what is it, but you know, uh, and and uh, a Vanguard ASX ETF and a Vanguard Global ETF, and I bought those five, and I bought them every month for the prevailing price. Do I think I do well? Yeah. Would it be nice to be able to do it some dollar cost averaging all of them on the ongoing basis? Yeah. Uh, that being said. Um, I do tend to treat my ETFs and my stocks differently. And I, I don't, I dollar cost average into my portfolio by, by saving money every, every payday. But I don't, I don't think I've got, I don't know, what about 15, 16 companies in the ASX, something like that. I wouldn't buy each of them at the current price. And I definitely prefer some over the other. So sometimes, yeah, it's a phrase I've used a lot, you know, the only good advice is the advice that's taken. I think this is a suboptimal solution is the honest answer. But I also think that it's a spectacularly great solution for many, many, many people, maybe even most people, because it removes that idea of what should I do right now? How am I feeling? Am I fearful? Am I greedy? Am I bored? Am I worried? Am I excited? Just do it. Like the 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 you know the pre commitment device, as the behavioral psychologists call it, of just just putting the money aside and buying the shares is super, super, super. That's why we like dollar cost averaging or ETFs. Mm. So. Would I discourage anyone from doing this? No, not in a month of Sundays. If you're saying to me, Scott, I'm doing this because I think this is going to be great. And it's going to really help me build my wealth. Like, cool. If you've decided it's right for you and you've decided you want to do it, knock yourself out. Go for it. Please keep going. Because you've decided it's the right thing for you and your personality and your investing style. And that's great. If you're saying to me, is it the optimal approach? I don't think so. Because I think ETFs, dollar cost average for sure, because you're not going to value them separately every individual month. But... You know, I own Sopats, Amazon, and Berkshire. Would I buy 
an even amount of each every month from today? No, I, I would probably look at them and go, one of them is probably better value or there's a fourth or fifth or sixth company is better value. I might, I might dollar cost into the, into, the, into the different company every month, but I want to buy it now because it's cheap enough on a value basis to, to do it. Do I want to keep increasing my share of that? Well, no, because it was a small company and I liked it now, but I don't want more than 2% of my portfolio in it. So I'll go back to something else next time. Uh, all that kind of stuff. So uh, yeah, do I like the idea? Yeah, I do. Uh, I think it's great for people who want it, as long as the providers aren't screwing you on fees, as, as Ram's already perfectly said. Otherwise, I think, yeah, it, it's perfectly fine. I, 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 would, I would happily dollar cost average in the ETFs themselves. Uh, I wouldn't do it into the same shares with, with a very few exceptions based on absolute quality and uh, confidence and faith in their super long-term potential. Um, because once you've got a massive chunk of it, you kind of, the opportunity cost you talked about earlier, Ram, is, is, is working against you if you get it wrong. So that, that's mm. probably what I do. But yeah, now, Sam, if, if you like it and you think it works for you and it makes your life easier and it makes sure you can definitely keep investing, or, you, know, we can't do, you should do, I shouldn't put it in those terms, Sam. Um, for any investor, if they're saying, look, you know what? I want to make it easy. I want to make it simple. I like these companies. This is how I get scratched the itch. Um, it, it gets me invested. I do it every single month, every time I get paid. I'm going to do it for the rest of my life. Like, you know what? You'll that, that's, a, that's a wonderful, you'll end up with a wonderful outcome in all probability. The only thing I would say, last one quickly, is if it's a, a, you know, a, a couple of ETFs and a few companies, it's not very diversified, right? So just think about how, what proportion you might end up with you know, three, four, five companies that are each, I know if, you, if it's five companies and two ETFs and you're in equal amounts, you end up with 15% of your portfolio in each of five different companies, which might be great if you choose the right ones. If you choose a couple of the wrong ones, you really could blow yourself up. So also be a little bit careful. If I was doing it that way, um, I would want a lot of companies in there um, or the ETFs to be a much higher proportion, either or, just to avoid that sort of single company risk. Any no more argument? No, nailed it. Just as well, mate, because we've gone along again. Thank you for joining us, listeners. Thank you for spending some time with us on this Sunday morning after the Matilda's fantastic performance last night, which was what again, Ray? It was just a great outcome. Oh, Everyone right. played really well. Okay. Yeah. Soccer was the, win- the winner on the night? That's exactly right. Yes. <laughs> uh, if you want to hit us up, do that. Uh, Andrew is on Twitter. I'm not going to call it the other thing. I'm going to call it Twitter because that's what it is. Uh, he is at Sage underscore Simeon or at Strawman Invest. Uh, you hit me up on Twitter or Insta or threads at TMF Scott P or The Motley Fool at The Motley Fool AU. Hit me up on Facebook at uh, facebook.com forward slash Scott Phillips Money or email us info, I-N-F-O at fool.com.au. If you want your questions answered, you want to give us some feedback, you want to make a comment, that is the best, they are the best places to do exactly that. Until next week, until Friday. Full on. Cheers. The Motley Fool and people appearing in this program may have positions in the companies mentioned. General advice only. Please speak to your financial professional to understand how it may pertain to your situation. Subscribe to the free newsletter at fool.com.au forward slash listener. The Motley Fool operates under financial services license 400691.